0: LifeWay Lifeway. Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network.
1: This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today.
2: You don't just say like, okay, I'm a leader now when I get on stage. You go, no, you're leading all the time. And you're either leading in a good direction or a bad direction. And it just made me go, oh, they're absorbing my character, the way I handle crisis, the way I move. These young guys are watching me. And am I someone worthy to emulate that they would want to follow me? And that was a sobering moment for me.
0: Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy, and today, here with a new co-host, if you've been listening for a while, you know that the original co-host was Josh Hunter. He is now in Texas. He you know, may be joining us every now and then, and then after him was Mike Kelsey, uh, and he is Still a friend of the podcast, will be joining us hopefully for some episodes here and there, but he, with all the responsibilities that are at uh, taking place at his church, he is stepping away and now we have a new co-host, Dan Eiten. So Dan, excited to have you joining, would love for you to just share with the listeners just a little bit about yourself. Yeah, excited to be uh, joining the
1: podcast. Um, I actually used to work with Mike Kelsey back in the day. I was at McLean Bible Church for about five years. Um, I was the missions guy there for our young adults ministry and then um, helped with outreach. And then I left McLean Bible to go plant a church where I was the executive pastor. Uh, It was called Restoration City in uh, Washington, D.C. and was there for about seven years before I've come over and joined LifeWay Leadership here and been there for about two years. So excited to be on the podcast, excited to continue to talk to Mike Kelsey and get such a, he's such a wise guy and excited to continue to learn from him on this podcast as well. Well, speaking of DC, who do we have on the podcast today? We're excited today. We've got a great guest with us, Ben Stewart. Uh, Ben currently serves as the pastor of Passion City Church in Washington, DC. He's also the author of the books, Rest and War, Single Dating, Engaged, Married, and the Bible study, This Changes Everything. Ben also served as as the executive director of Breakaway, which is an awesome ministry uh, down on the campus of Texas A&M. Uh, ben, we are so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for being here.
2: Well, thanks, guys. I'm happy to be here. It's good
0: to see you. Ben, you are actually the second former director of Breakaway to join the podcast. We actually had Greg Ma- <laughs> Greg, Mott on as well. Okay. So apparently right. a little sponsorship action from
2: Breakaway on the Unseen Leadership Podcast. What, it's the place to be, man. <laughs> and uh, there's some good guys leading it now. So pretty cool. For sure.
0: You know, just as Dan was saying, just would love to hear a little bit about what your world looks like right now in D.C.
2: Yeah. You know, it is wonderful right now. You know, D.C., stayed shut down a very long time during the pandemic. And, you know, like a lot of leaders, it was, it was a challenging time to lead and an exhausting time to lead, but man, it feels like, I know it's summer, but it feels like springtime is here. I mean, the church Mm -hmm. is full. There's a spiritual hunger. Like our, we call it our access space. Like our prayer area has been overflowing every Sunday and it's like, man, there's still challenges in the city, but there's a vibrancy back to church right now that has been so encouraging, so fun. So, you know, you got to be ready in season and out of season. And right now it's starting to feel like an in season again, like, oh, there's labor, but there's fruit coming in from the labor. And so honestly, it's a pretty happy time for me in ministry.
0: Love to hear that. Well, Ben, let's go ahead and hop in here. You know, we talked about Passion City at Breakaway, but would love to hear for you, man, what were the different leadership roles over the years that led you to
2: where you are today in DC? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I went to Texas A&M, which is a school that really kind of promote student leadership, get involved, lead stuff. And so I was sort of in this leadership air in college, but I left college uncertain what I was going to do, to be honest. I mean, I think my plan was to roam the earth, but uh, I had a guy introduce me to a, um, a guy who was planting a church before that language was even really common. And um, so I went with him. I was a youth pastor. I'd never had, technically had a youth pastor, never been in a youth group, but I became a youth pastor right out of college and got to grow a ministry from the ground up. With some great support and cover. And for five years, just got to figure out how to build and lead something. And then left under great circumstances to go to seminary. I mean, at that point, I was teaching a lot and realizing I need better training if I'm going to teach effectively uh, the Bible. So went to seminary and, and then left there to go to Breakaway and led Breakaway for almost 12 years. And again, left under great circumstances, ripping away, but, but came to passion and, you know, spent a little bit of time in Atlanta preparing to launch a church somewhere in America. And my wife and I spent (laughs) six months traveling America, visiting cities, praying over them. It's pretty remarkable, pretty encouraging to go to all these Mm -hmm. cities and see the people of God serving and growing in different cities. And we landed in DC and the church just celebrated a five-year birthday, five-year meeting on Sunday. So we've been leading for about six years here and and we're just running and running, man.
0: Congrats, man. What an exciting time. Five, five, six years, celebrated five years meeting on Sundays. You know, Ben, you mentioned there a couple things. I even I kind of want to ask two questions. Well, they may be each a little bit of a longer answer. But the first one you mentioned, man, Texas A&M mm-hmm. promotes student leadership. Mm-hmm. And you are in a culture of leadership what did that look like for you? And how did that kind of culture, you know, promote for you? Hey, I want to step in and be a leader. I don't just want to sit back. I want to lead. And you were trying to discern where that was, but what did you learn during that time as a student at a and
2: Yeah, I, I just, one of the things I loved about a and culture was there was a lack of cynicism, you know, so where you would see a problem, where sometimes in some cultures it's, well, then we'll just complain about it or we'll just sort of complain about the people who are leading it and why they're terrible. A M and just sort of mitigated against cynicism. It's like, do you see a problem? We'll solve it. What are you going to do? How are you going to fix it? And so that was just so in the air. So... Mm organizations were starting all the time. like every person you met was like, well, I lead 17 organizations and they all had acronyms. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Maybe you should. They're all students. One first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so sometimes it can go sideways. You're like, You're trying to lean too much. You don't know anything yet. You know, but um, I think I benefited from early on just getting underneath some great leaders. And so I wasn't really chasing a leadership spot. I wasn't chasing a microphone. God was doing some powerful work in my life. Like I, I went through a big existential crisis my freshman year and came out of it with a real sincere conviction of wanting to learn and grow. And that sincere conviction, I think people tend to orbit around it, to be quite honest. And so that's when I started getting asked to lead things. I wasn't necessarily going for them. I was just learning and growing. And people are like, Hey, can you lead a group of us in a Bible study? Hey, can you be Mm -hmm. the chaplain of this organization? And so, um, I I tell young guys, you know, I'm coming out of a ministry context. I would tell them all the time at breakaway, Hey, chase the Lord, not ministry guys would come Mm -hmm. to me. Like, how do I get to lead this? How do I get to speak on a stage outside? I'm like, don't, don't chase the spotlight. Don't chase the mic. You chase the Lord. Mm-hmm. And he's going to lead you where you need to go. You keep learning, you keep growing, you keep serving, and, and he's going to elevate you. And you just can be faithful with the little, and he'll make you faithful with much. So mm-hmm. it was in these serving contexts I met all kinds of people that are now mentors and, and put me where I'm, I'm at today.
0: Man, I, I really resonate with that. I was reading, and it may have been 1776 by David McCullough. Mm-hmm. It was George Washington, mm-hmm. and it just talked about it. he was a reluctant leader. Like he mm-hmm. didn't want to run and be the leader, but so many others said, Hey, we want you to lead. And what you're talking about, Ben is such a needed word because so many times it goes, man, I want the mic. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes for me, I know my story and where I learned the most was serving in a church plant, stacking chairs. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's where the Lord works. Like you said, chase the Lord, don't chase leadership. That is, that's a great word, man. Well, here's, here's the second question. And Dan, I'll, I'll let you get to the second question after that. <laughs> awesome. But you we were just talking A&M had a massive uh, impact on your story. You get to lead breakaway. Man, take us through what the Lord was doing when he, when you said it, man, it felt like ripping apart of leaving breakaway to go to Passion City Church. I mean that is a massive decision. And yeah. um would love to hear kind of how you guys discern that. Because yeah. I think a lot of people, I mean they're trying to make decisions in life, and I think the way that you all wrestle with that could help.
2: Yeah, that's a long story. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you the short, version, or the shortest version. Uh, but um, you know, there was a there was a moment where I started to feel a restlessness. I wasn't looking for it, but just starting to feel like, am I topping out here? Am I just going to mm-hmm. downshift into management? You know, uh, because I couldn't see the next hill to climb. And I started to wrestle with that, and started even praying, like, Lord, are you moving us on? Should I be a pastor? Am I supposed to go to different cities? And and I just had this angsty wrestling with the Lord. And I don't really know how to explain what happened to me. I just felt like there was a moment where I'm like, okay, I keep asking him to tell me what's next and he's not going to do it. So I used to tell guys all the time, just excel at the revealed things. Like what is revealed in front of you? Just do the, do the best at that. Be the best at what you've been revealed in God's word. What challenges in front of you. And in my time with the Lord, I just felt like, okay, at Breakaway, there were two huge needs and there were things I was avoiding doing because I wasn't good at them and didn't want to, and you know, there's that, that, kind of axiom of like, Hey, you do what you're best at, you know, get all your energy into your greatest gifts and then outsource everything else. And I think that's true. But as a leader, if you take the leadership spot, there's things that come with it that may not be things that you're gifted at or excited about. And so I had a mentor tell me that he's like, if you're spending 80% of your time doing what you want to do, that's a win. He goes, but that means one day a week, you're doing all stuff you hate. <laughs> so I was like, hey, if I'm the leader of breakaway, providing funding for breakaway is part of my job, but I don't like fundraising. I don't want to do it. Somebody Mm -hmm. else. I just felt like, no, Hey man, that's the spot. So either fill the spot or get out of the way was what Mm. I I felt like the Lord was pressing. I mean, I'm like, well, then I have to go on a journey of figuring out how to talk to people with money, how to raise money. And, and honestly, I just felt like the Lord was like, I'm going to make you dribble with your weak hand. I'm just going to make you develop the skills you've been avoiding developing. And so for two years I did that. And was able to stabilize Breakaway with, with their contracts with the arena and stabilize our board of directors and mm. get a funding situation in place where we actually had a surplus of money, which was, not, was rare for us. And then it was at that moment when, you know, out of nowhere, I was telling Donna once, I was like, you know what's funny, babe? I was like, we've been praying about... Should we start a church? And there's no energy in that and us excitement about it. We've been offered to take leadership of churches, and none of them felt right. And I was like, so we're not supposed to take over the leadership of an existing church, and we're not supposed to start a new one. I'm like, there's nothing <laughs> in between that. And then I said yes to speaking at a deal to a hundred kids in this tiny town in Texas, and they had two speakers, me and Louis, <laughs> to these <this laughs> hundred high school kids.
1: How did they line that <laughs> we up? We went that's the question. About, another, that's a long, I'm
2: trying you to, need to go find fundraising. <laughs> (laughs) long stories, but I'll I'll tell you the short one. But, um, he was like, what would you think about you coming and launching a passion city church in another city? And I was like, man, I think I might be more open to that than you think. Like that's the thing in the middle, oddly enough. And, uh, so anyway, after that, I got real scared. Like I didn't want to leave breakaway. I was like, Lord, I actually don't want to do that. I felt like I was in the backseat and Jesus was clicking the blinker and exiting the freeway. And I'm like, "Whoa, Whoa, Whoa, I don't want to. (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, after that, it became that normal thing. I'm processing with my friends. I'm processing with mentors. There were some crazy stuff that happened to me of people calling me like, hey, I've been praying for you. And this is coming to mind, like some interesting sort of like spiritual dream kind of stuff that you're like, wait, what? Like just it took a lot to get me to move. And um, I knew for me, I don't want to downshift to management. I want to live on the cutting edge of faith and wisdom. Mm. I want to be wise. I don't want to be stupid, but I want to live a life full of faith. And I wanted my kids to see a dad who was going to live by faith. Mm. And boy, they're getting to watch that. So here we go. <laughs>
1: um, well, Ben, it's been, it's been amazing to watch that journey. I mean, I've, I've been following you since you were at breakaway and, yeah. and I've been, you know, I've been in DC. I came to DC that, that guy straight out of college worked in politics, did that thing for five years. And I love this, the city of Washington, DC. And the fact, you know, I've, I've planted a church in that area across the river in Arlington. And, mm-hmm. um, I just have a heart for this community. And when you guys came, in and planted Passion City, you know, it's been so fun to watch what God has done through your church. And just, you know, another amazing gospel centered church that's preaching God's word in this city is awesome, but also just to see the growth that I've, I've watched in that church over the years. So it's been fun and hmm. and I'm excited of, of what God's continuing to do through your ministry. Um, Thanks, so man. it's cool to see. Um, but, you know, let's keep moving on in our questions here today. One, um, you know, ask you, tell us a pivotal moment, you know, in your life, that when you look back, it changed your leadership and just kind of how you live. Is there something that kind of comes to mind for you?
2: Yeah. Like back in the like early leadership mm-hmm. kind of days, pivotal moments, I would say um, two things. I know you asked one, but I'll give you two. They'll be short. <laughs> one was, I mean, you know, 22, 23 year old youth pastor, I had a ministry of, you know, a dozen students. And I remember asking one of them to pray once. And as he was praying, he was being sincere. He was sincerely talking to the Lord, but he was saying all the things I say. And I'd never told him to do that. And I just remember it's, sticking to me once, like, oh, it's that old John Maxwell statement, leadership is influence. Right. And I'm like, Mm. I have influenced the way this guy perceives of God and talks to God, but I never told him to say those things. He just absorbed them. And they weren't when I was officially clicked into leader mode. He just listens to the way I talk and he talks like me. And I think that was, uh, there was a gravity to that for me of like, you don't just say like, okay, I'm a leader now when I get on stage, Mm -hmm. you go, no, you're leading all the time. And you're either leading in a good direction or a bad direction. And it just made me go, oh, they're absorbing my character, the way I handle crisis, the way I move. Th- these young guys are watching me. And am I someone worthy to emulate that they would want to follow me? And that was a sobering moment for me. I would say another one that was a, a huge moment for me that stands out was at Breakaway. You know, when I came on early on, uh, Greg Mott had had moved Breakaway too. Reed arena, the basketball arena in the center of campus. And so thousands of students are coming. This is crazy. I take over. It's amazing. Um, a couple months in the arena comes to me, they got new management and they were like, Hey, we noticed you're not paying near enough. So we're tripling your rent. And I'm like, "Wait, what? And I was like, I remember saying to the guy, I was like, you just killed us. I said, cause we can't pay that. And I said, do you understand you get nothing? You're not getting triple the money. You're getting no money now. Like you get nothing and we get nothing. Everybody loses. And it was like this really surreal conversation. But I walked away and was like, I don't know what to do. Like, we don't have that. And it led to a cascading different set of decisions that all kind of worked out. There was a wild story. But I remember in that moment realizing we have nowhere to go and I don't know where to go. And we were trying to figure out options of where to meet. And, and I was kind of thinking like, maybe we can borrow this church's this or that, whatever. And, and I remember looking on Google maps at the campus and then seeing Kyle field, the football field, you know, and you're like, Mm. well, that would, that would hold us. (laughs) And then just felt terrifying. You're like, what a bad idea, you know, just like so crazy, (laughs) but like we need a place to go and it turned out being the largest breakaway ever. Mm. And then a few years later, it happened again, emergency, lost our venue. And then we saw a field Simpson drill field, right? I bet we could set up breakaway in that field. And we had, 12,000 students show up in a field. And so some of the biggest highlight moments in ministry for me came as a reaction to failure, that, that Mm -hmm. limitations became opportunities. Like if we would have just looked at them and said, Oh, there's giants in the land. Oh, well you go, no, but that limitation forced us to be creative and turn a loss into a win and turn what looked like a defeat into an opportunity. And so I just encourage guys, sometimes you're going to look and go, there's a sea in front of me. There's no way through it. And you go, yeah, maybe there is, maybe he's going to part the waters and and maybe what, what seems like a great moment of failure might be uh, a step into your biggest victory.
1: I mean, I think that goes back to what you were saying earlier too, of just like, it's about being faithful and just, you know, being, being where God has placed you for that time and trusting in his, in his, you know, wisdom through all that, like, you know, so often we are reaching for the next thing, or if something does go wrong, we lose our heads and just, you know, God wants us to be where we're at and just keep going at it.
2: Well, I'll tell you a story about that. It's like, when I graduated, you know, I went to be this youth pastor. I quit, I quit like a month in. I was like, I'm living in the suburbs. There's no single people here by myself. I quit this ministry and picked up my girlfriend. We drove to this retreat. We broke up on the way. So I dropped her off at her mom's house and I went to this retreat and I remember laying in bed and was like, Lord, I just let go everything and I woke up the next morning with this panic and this thought, what have I done? And it was like, was that about the girl or about the youth ministry? And I was like, it's not the girl. We needed to break up those. Uh, <laughs> I'm supposed to go back to this ministry. And I just really stressed out about it. But it was a real liberating moment for me of like, I don't have to be the best youth pastor ever. I just have to know God and make him known. I got to be faithful and take a step at a time. And in that process, man, I began to write just, what do I really think? What do I really believe? Like going to those depths of who am I really? And I wrote this, like man, manifesto about singleness about like how it has a purpose and what that best purpose is for. And I want to live according to it. And, um, so step into that youth ministry, met some guys that invited me to speak at things. No one was inviting a guy with a youth ministry of a dozen kids speak anywhere. One guy asked me, that guy asked me to go through this other thing asked me to go to do this single thing. And I said, I want to talk about singleness. And he said, don't do it. That was a huge mistake. They don't want to hear it. I'm like, no, I really, it's like a conviction of mine. And I gave it. And then afterwards he was like, that was our most downloaded talk we've ever had. Will wow. you be our regular speaker? And I'm like, uh, yeah, all right." <laughs> and so I started doing that. And And then when it came time, you know, years later, T- like 20 years later when I wrote a book, I was about to say, single it's probably dating, yeah. the book." <laughs> well, sometimes you got to sit on something for 20 years. I said <laughs> yeah. that to a group of 20 year olds here and they like, mm. started crying, you know, but I'm like, sometimes God will make you sit on it for a long time to sharpen the vision, but I, I wrote single dating. I didn't want to write a dating book. Actually, when this publisher came to me, I I pitched a different book idea and I tried to write it for three months and couldn't do it. And then I spent five minutes and I wrote the whole outline for single dating. And I was like, I'm supposed to write a dating book. I was like, I don't want to write a dating book. It just, but I was like, but that's, what's on my heart. That's just the next thing. So I wrote it it went well. And then Dan, when I came up here, I remember the first time I went to the Capitol, like, I had to buy a suit, man. In the Capitol. <laughs> I, I was meeting with this guy. He's the chief of staff of a Senator. And so yeah. I'm like new kid on the block. And I was like, Hey man, like, how can I serve your people? Like just blanket open door. How can I serve your people? And he went, oh, nobody knows how to date. <laughs> he said their relationships are a mess. You think you'll talk about that? I was like, yeah, man, I, I bet it'll come up. <laughs> yeah, I think be and then uh, like a month or two later, before the church even started, I got invited to speak at the Capitol by the chaplain of the Senate, and on singleness and dating. And I'm like, who? No one would say, "Well, how do you get to speak in the Capitol of the United States of America? Like, what you want to do? do? You want to be a pastor on singleness? Like, that's not a thing. But that's what God loves to do. God loves that kind of stuff, you know. And yeah. so you just be faithful with the reveal that's in front of you, and don't. Don't try to play chess with your life. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you just got to be faithful with what's in front of you. Man,
0: that's so good. You you mentioned you 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 had the manifesto written, waited twenty years to write the book. I remember we had Tim Keller on another podcast, and I asked him. He wrote an article, and he's shared this before. He said, "Hey, I, I would advise." younger guys to wait to write a book until you're later in your years of ministry. Mm -hmm. And I asked him why, and he was just sharing why that was convictions can change. You're not as seasoned in ministry. I mean, your whole position on something could change, but you know, whether whoever's listening to this, you take that advice. If you want to write a book or not, I think what you just said, Ben, you had to sit on something for 20 years, just Mm -hmm. in general, there is something about waiting and sitting on it and letting it really, wrestle with it before you fully share it in that way. Mm. So that's, there's just a lot of wisdom there. I didn't want to jump past that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Someone shared to me that verse in Lamentations. It's good for a man to bear the yoke when he's young, let him bury his face in the dirt. Cause there he'll find hope. That was my like key verse when I was a youth pastor, which doesn't sound like I didn't put it on a T-shirt for the kids, <laughs> but I was just it's like, hanging over your door. <laughs> I was like, Lord, this is what you've done to me. You've put a, a yoke on my neck. I've just, I'm learning and I'm trudging with my my face in the dirt and it's good. It's good. Cause you're teaching me to hope in you. You're teaching me to trust you. I'm not trying to hurry up and grab a a thing, a position, a title to validate my existence. That's such an unhealthy, dangerous place to be. And the older I get, the more grateful I am that he hid me from any spotlights and surrounded me with good mentors. And I'm like, those things feel like limitations when you're young, but they're gifts to have good leaders to follow and just, unglamorous, hidden, faithful work to do. He's not going to waste that.
0: That's that's so good, Ben. All right. Let's go back to young Ben. Yeah. What was your biggest mistake as a leader getting started?
2: Gosh. Well, I would say... A mistake I made early on, you know, Paul told Timothy, don't be hasty in the laying on of hands, you know, and participate in the sin of others. I think sometimes when you're a young leader, you're you're desperate for help when you're building a ministry. And so you'll see some competency or some charisma, and you'll hurry up and give someone leadership without having really watched closely to see if they have character. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a mistake I made early on. And, you know, then it ends up costing you a lot. I- I'm realizing the older I get... So much of my job as a leader is culture management what kind of Mm -hmm. culture have i created Mm -hmm. and so if i think oh this person's good at this job but they're they're cynical they talk they grumble they talk bad about people behind their back but i don't know but they're really a good speaker you know or whatever you go man you can you can create a toxic culture and that really hurts your ministry. And so for me, I've learned to, to be slow in laying on hands, slow to, you know, break away. I waited probably five, six, seven years before I added a single person to our board of directors. I just watched guys for a long time. And then over the years, we built a board that was is just super healthy. And uh, and and that came from some shrapnel of of giving some people leadership too fast. That ended up becoming a real um a real deterrent to our ministry. Uh, I warn young guys, whenever you're starting a ministry, wolves want to get in among the sheep. They just do. And when you're young, you're scared to say no. So you're like, I don't know. The wolf wanted to be in there so bad. And you're like, no, say no when you <laughs> if you're if you're like, I'm not sure I can trust this person, then don't be careful. Verify. Make them fill out applications. Like really trust, make sure that you trust someone's character and that you have chemistry with each other. Because you your job as a leader is to protect the culture. And you want one that's filled with grace and truth, humility, and a commitment to the word of God. You want to create that kind of culture. So you got to protect who you hand uh, the mantle of leadership to.
1: And that, I mean, that's such a hard thing, too, in the midst of, you know, having me been at a church plant before where we started with a very small launch team. It was like, you, you're willing to serve? Okay, great. You can be the head of our Connect team. And it's like, yeah. wait, are you really that right person? Like, should we just wait? And like, you can help me with some things, but you might not be that leader for yeah. right now. And that's, it's a hard thing to, to have that wisdom to say, hey, we're just going to hold off on any official things right now.
2: Yeah. <laughs> grow slow, grow strong. You know, yep. you just go, let me make sure I get this right.
1: <laughs> yeah. So is there, uh, you know, going back to our questions, is there a book that you wish somebody would have given you? Uh, when you were just starting to lead, that would be helpful, whether it was around at the time that book or not, but is there something that sticks out to you that would be helpful for, for some of our listeners to read?
2: I'll tell you a book somebody did give me that was great was uh, the the master plan of evangelism by Robert Coleman. Uh, It's kind of a classic. Someone handed it to me early in ministry. And, you know, the the title, I don't know if it's very well titled. the, The whole point of the book is he said, I'm not analyzing Jesus's message. This book is an analysis of his method saying, if his challenge was change the world in three years, go, what strategic method did he employ to do that? and then each chapter is just a study and an analysis of his method and the investment he made in leaders. And if I look back on my life, anything I've done right in leadership, it's that I've tried to spend a lot of time. What Paul told Timothy in second Timothy, which you've heard from me in trust to reliable men who are able to teach others that I'm looking around in the crowd and going, are you reliable? And are you able Like, are you here? Do you consistently show up and can you do something with what I'm saying to you? And if you got that kind of person that's reliable and able, then I want to invest heavily in you. And, uh, that's what Jesus did. So Paul did, and that's what I've tried to do. And I think it's gone well, you know, there was a time after I got injured at breakaway where I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to lead anymore. And, um, it was very dramatic. I was laying on the floor, couldn't sit up, couldn't walk. And my staff gathered around my head <laughs> and I was just divesting leadership responsibilities to all of you To you, I give. You know, and, but it was great to walk away from that and go, but we can do that because we have good leaders. They're reliable and they're able and we could hand it off and the ministry could not miss a beat. And I want to build a thing that, that could live without me. I don't want to build a house of cards. I don't want to build a cult of personality. I want to build people people that can lead. And that investment in people, I learned from uh, Robert Coleman.
0: Mm. Well, Ben, before we get to the quick hitter questions, I want to ask a, a question that was not on um, our radar at first, but, Ooh, okay. you know, Passion City has the Passion Conference. I mean, I think many who are listening, I know myself, have been impacted by the mm-hmm. Passion Conference. Mm-hmm. And now you get to be a part of that in uh, more ways now than um, even before investing mm-hmm. into the next generation. Man, we just love to hear your heart. If somebody's listening, going, man, why should I go to passion? But also for you, why are you passionate about pouring into college students and, and young adults in that conference? And what have you seen come out of it as well?
2: Yeah, man, you know, at a personal level, my freshman year of college, I felt very lonely and isolated spiritually. You know, I was the designated driver for my roommates in my house. They were good guys, but I felt very alone. I mean, I remember telling God that once, I think I'm the only Christian at a and which is laughable. There were quite a few. I just didn't know where they were. Um, but I remember the first time I showed up at a passion conference and just walking into the room and doing the 360 and looking around and seeing other people, my, age want the same thing I do. I do. They, they want to know God and want to know what it means to be a, a woman or a man of God. And before a word was spoken on stage, just looking around, that, that intense feeling of I'm not alone was so inspiring. And then I would meet people from all these different campuses and go, God, you're on the move all over. And I remember meeting a guy from Nepal that had flown over to be a part of this. And it just expanding my view of God and of what God's doing in the world, and just you know, college is is uniquely sort of a self-absorbing time. What's my major, my schedule, my future? But getting a a vision of the world maybe i should use my gifts for something bigger so there was this comfort of i'm not alone there was a sense of calling i can be a part of something bigger and i was captivated by that and so i went to every conference i could after that and brought friends and i didn't show up the lonely kid anymore but i show up know- knowing this is going to be a catalytic moment for us at some level someone's going to be catalyzed to to confess and repent of some things that have been really weighing them down somebody's going to get a vision for their life of living for something bigger and i just watch that happen over and over again. And I go, these moments are catalytic moments for individuals and for a generation. And you know, this year we're going back to the bins, 65,000 young people in an arena. I mean, we've done that one other time and it is bananas to look around and just go, this is a lot of people. This is a lot of humanity gathered here. And it's, um, it's hard to put into words how powerful it is to stand in a space like that, how, how quickly it feels like holy ground to say we're here for a simple cause to know God and make him known but we're doing it with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation is really amazing. So, you know, I would just say get there. Just get there. You want to be there. You want to be in the room. If you're a college student, you want to be there. 18 to 25 non-college, you want to be there. Over 25, get in the room to serve, man. Just You want to be there. Like It's it's a really powerful, catalytic moment. And we'll
1: we'll put this in the show notes, but it's passion2024.com if you want to learn more register go ahead and check
2: that out that's great thanks guys and
0: ben just give ben a call he's got a promo code for you <laughs> for <laughs> yeah, free sure. mm-hmm. yeah, I got phone you. number will be in the show notes <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. oh man well hey let's get to the quick hitter questions here ben uh these are just short one minute answers so getting started with this one what is your ideal daily routine what time do you wake up get into the office all that good stuff
2: yeah ideal for me right now it changes i i uh, you know, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Same with your schedule. Schedule is made for man, not man for the schedule. So I feel the freedom to change it, to maximize my giftings and abilities. So right now, because I have kids, I wake up earlier. I need to wake up before they do. Uh, I hate waking up in the fives. So I wake up at six uh, a.m., make some coffee, come downstairs. I've got a little nook I sit in. So from about six to seven is my devotional time with the Lord. It's where I just dump out everything I'm thinking about, leadership, emotionally, whatever, and then just process what the Lord. A little after seven, I go upstairs and uh, the kids have breakfast and I read the Bible with them. And I I just want to be, I want to do that with my kids. And so I read a passage, we explain it. And then by 7.50, they're off to school. It's about 30 minutes. And so I'm back down in the lab in my study by eight o'clock working on a sermon. I'm the most creative in the morning and so that's when I create and I just told my staff whatever problems you have sit on them take notes (laughs) but don't text me don't call me I just need unbroken focus in the morning and I'll do that for two three hours and then usually maybe eleven o'clock or so when my brain's starting to run run short I'll go work out like for me I just realized right now that's an ideal time for me go for uh, an hour to ninety minutes I'll work out and then uh, I shower up change head to the office I'm usually in the office by one and in the afternoon, that's when I just do meetings. That's when my creativity is usually spent, but I can sit and listen. And so that's where I just kind of slot in a lot of my meeting times. And uh, for me, it's it's usually more meetings with leaders. It's my director's team, my staff, some one-on-one meetings with staff, those sorts of things will be in the afternoon. And then I'll run that till about five right now. I mean, I used to work late, but I've got kids, man, and they're in bed by seven. So I want to be home by five because that means I have two hours with them and the phone gets thrown away. I don't want them to see dad choose the phone over them so from five to seven it's dinner with the kids we sit down have a meal together every night we talk about our best worst and weirdest. And then uh, we read books together. We just read Chronicles of Narnia, Lord of the Rings. We're reading uh, Andrew Peterson's series. Now they go to bed. I get about an hour to hang with my wife and then get ready and I'm in bed by 10. So that's kind of the the flow for me that seems to work the best uh, in my current iteration of fatherhood and leadership.
1: (laughs) I like that you say that it changes and it flows and that's, that's helpful. Sometimes we get stuck in those ruts where it's like, if I'm not doing this, I'm, I'm in trouble. But yeah. you know, I like that you have that flexibility in there. This can be a controversial question, but do you have a favorite personality test? Um, if you, if you like those things or not, um, and if you do, what, uh, what's the, what's the favorite personality test and what's your results from it?
2: Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of personality tests, but I'll tell you this, uh, there's, um, uh, the flipping group has, a has a test they do. And it's, uh, on constraints and things like that. It was probably the most helpful tool I ever had with, with hiring. Uh, I remember, um, I gave it to all my staff and had them fill it out. And I sat down with one of their team, their, their ministry arms called integris. I sat down with the leadership of integris and the dude was just looking at these, like, they look like barcodes of my staff. And he was like, let me tell you about your staff. And he just went through and was just looking at these codes and telling me about every single person. And I'm like, have you met them? He's like, no. And I'm like, you were describing, he was like, here's what they say in a meeting. Here's how they respond to you when you pitch ideas. Here's how they end. I'm like, what on earth is happening right now? And he, like, he just knew them so well. And I was like, I will never hire someone again without having them sit with you first. And so I don't know how helpful it was for me personally, but it was so Super helpful as a hi- in hiring, you know, just to, yeah. I would sit down with one of their guys and they'd say, what role are you hiring this person for? What are you hoping they'll be like? And then they'd say this person's a fit or they're not a fit. Uh, we use the Berkman analysis too. That's helpful in some regards uh, here at passion. Uh, at times I think it's maybe a little too detailed, but I did find it really helpful to, to clarify some things about myself. And uh, particularly with the Berkman, they, they sort of melded Louie and I's results and said, here's how y'all are going to interact. Here's where y'all will excel together. Here's where your friction will be. And they were, they were very accurate. So <laughs> that's good. Yeah. That's
0: amazing. The first one I'm interested in, like, you get a QR code of somebody, and it tells you everything. It wow, man. Know. I was like, you guys are like spooky. Yeah. What, what's an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership?
2: I use a heart math monitor. This may be an unusual one. Uh, I don't know if you know what that is. I, I had a, a counselor and a Navy SEAL independently uh, encourage me to do this. And I was like, okay, you're coming from like two sides at me. And it's basically the one I use is a clip on your ear and it's, it, they call it measuring coherence. It's, it's not uh, uh, heartbeats per minute, but it's how close the beats are together. Just, it, it's really a kind of an interesting biological test of how focused or how scatterbrained you are. Hmm. And I really found it to be true. I'll put it on. And um, if I just try to jump in the study or jump into problem solving, uh, my brain is usually going 10 different directions and it can't really advance anything. So I'll put this thing on and, you know, on my little phone, it'll show up bright red, which means like you're all over the place, which is exactly how I feel. And then it just, it makes you stop. For me, I take about five minutes. I focus on breathing, and i think about something i really like and what happens is your heart rate slows your mind clears and then you can function and so i do it all the time in the morning when my mind feels scattered i'll put it on and it's it's amazing how fast i can go from scatterbrained which you could waste hours doing but in five minutes i can stop settle before the lord calm my anxious mind and then i can have a really productive two hours in the office so that's my my unusual one
1: that's awesome after this, I'm going to, I'm going to type that in yeah. and learn more about yeah. this. This yeah, yeah. Help. Mm-hmm. What's, what's a favorite app that's on your phone right now?
2: <laughs> just the voice memos. I don't know if that's like, that's not really like cutting edge or cool, but Hey, you know, uh, I have a forest near my house. And so by the end of the week, I have to walk and talk out sermons and I like to do it in mm. the woods. So I don't look like I'm insane walking the streets, talking to myself. <laughs> but as I'm talking out something, if I say it good, I just pull my phone out and record myself and, um, I've just realized, in terms of like being able to communicate, the voice memo is my place right now where I can grab ideas. So what do you, what do you do
0: with that? I mean, let's, let's walk through, you record it, you set it how you want. Are, are you then going back and listening through it and then piecing together, like writing it out on your sermon notes yeah, to make sure you kind cause of Cause if I'm in way. a
2: flow, you know, like, yep, like sure. I've been studying, 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 and then, you know, when you're studying, you're like, do I understand a concept and can I explain it? Mm-hmm. I have to leave the desk and leave the computer to figure out how do I explain it and how do my ideas flow together? You know, how does one idea link to another where would an illustration fit naturally? That's, I'm usually figuring out out in the woods, man. But when you're talking it out, that bridge sentence that gets you from one idea to the next, which a lot of times communicators neglect, they come out when I'm out there. And then I'm like, Ooh, I got to record that. So I find myself recording like the connecting sentences that go from an illustration to really drive it to your point or from your point to the next point. And, uh, that's where it gets me. And, and so sometimes I'll listen to them back. Sometimes just the act of making myself do that, I remember it. But if I stop and sit down and start typing, I can break the flow sometimes. So the voice memo helps me not break the flow.
1: This is a bonus question, but Ben, Ben, you're one of my favorite, you know, speakers and, and preachers. And I'm um, curious, do you, are you somebody that, are you, do you manuscript? Do you like just have an outline? Do you bring anything up with you? Like, how does that work for you and your brain as you you know, preach on a Sunday morning.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's close to a manuscript. I mean, it's not a full one. It's somewhere between heavy outline and full manuscript. But um, I color code it. Dan is what I do. So, and it helps me looking down to see what I got, you know? So for me, verses are in blue. My explanations are in black. Illustrations are in red. Quotes are in green. And it helps me in preparation to write it out because then I can have it and remember it if I'm ever going to use this material mm-hmm. again. And the colors help me see, like, if there's no red, I'm like, well, this talk can be true, but it's going to be very boring, you know, or uh, something like that, you know? And, um, <laughs> but once I get on stage, I shouldn't really have to read it. If I'm reading it, I'm in, tr- something's gone wrong, yeah, you know, yeah. but, but that process of me of writing it out, uh, is just part of the process for me. And I could probably get up there with just an outline, but I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm advocating the way I do it, but it helps me. Mm-hmm. It's a heavy outline, but I'm just looking down at mm-hmm. colors. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Awesome.
0: Well, last question here, Ben, what is one sentence advice that you would give someone going into a leadership? position for the first time
2: enjoy the freedom of being a learner i think um, young guys when they step into leading they want to prove they can do it and sometimes that just costs you so much credibility but i think if you can come into an environment as a leader and go leaders are learners i'm going to start as a learner I'm a missionary. I'm going to study the culture and then I'll, I'll move the culture. But, um, sometimes I think guys want to be too quick to make decisions or force things. And you go take, take the time to learn. And, uh, once you, you, like a good doctor. Once you really understand the problem, you're way more exact with your solutions. So I would just say, take the pressure off if you're a young leader of having to hurry up and lead and command and drive, be a learner, ask a million questions, ask who's the best at this, and then go interview that person. That's what I did as a youth pastor. I said, who's the best youth pastors in Houston? I asked them all to lunch. They all said yes. And uh, I just think that's the best advice I got is enjoy the freedom of being a learner. Just learn. And, And then you'll have a well to draw from when it comes time to make a decision or guide through a crisis. You'll have a well to draw from. So leaders are learners.
0: Well, Ben, thanks for joining us on the podcast and sharing about your leadership journey. And thank you for listening. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. If it has, head on over to wherever you're listening to the podcast, leave us a rating and review, and we'll
2: see you next time.